0: Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to episode 32 of the Millionaire Muslim Podcast. And today we've got a very good episode with Dalha, who is the founder of the app Quran Club, which you may or may not have heard of. I suspect you have heard of it because it's very, very big. It's had... Hundreds of thousands of downloads, people across the world are participating in it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful project that you should definitely get involved in. It's as simple as downloading an app and getting involved. And it's all about the social aspect of reading the Quran and sharing with your friends and with your family and participating in shared reading And there is a lot of goodness in this app, inshallah, and you are going to find out about the man behind the app and what he is motivated by, what led him to found Quran Club, what Quran Club is all about. I just think it's a wonderful example of what technology has enabled us to do nowadays, and we are so, so fortunate to be able to have such apps available to us, alhamdulillah. I hope Ramadan is going well for all of you guys, inshallah, I hope you're making the most of it, and it's being a really productive Ramadan, inshallah. And also, just to remind you before we dive into the episode, that we are just under a month now from our launch of the new course, Halal Investing for Busy Professionals. And that's all about, well, it is what it says on the tin. It's about halal investing for busy people, trying to create a hands-off, diversified portfolio. If you're struggling to understand you know what makes a good halal investment, then you should definitely check out the course if you want to start putting your money to work so check out the course islamicfinanceguru.com forward slash courses there is an early bird discount until the date of the launch after which it will be full price so definitely worth checking out in the meantime but until then if you've got any questions then do feel free to email me mosin at islamicfinanceguru.com and ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com and without further ado let's get into the interview
1: assalamu alaikum and welcome to the millionaire muslim podcast by islamic finance guru and today i am hugely excited to have a good friend of mine from a long time ago who uh, a story um with with whom i shall share uh, at some point as well inshallah um who's the founder of quran club and um i've known him since i was i think 16 so that's going on uh, it's making me feel quite old now, Talha About 12 years um, I think so, yeah And alhamdulillah uh, I think um, Talha has certainly aged better than I have
2: uh, <laughs> don't, think, don't know about that one
1: <laughs> Certainly the things that you're up to, Allah. So Talha, um, you've been up to lots of things you've, you're, you're basically, you're a scholar now um, you, You've set up a hugely successful uh, Quran app You've um, set up the, the Center for uh, Islamic med- medi- Medicine. Islam kind of? and Medicine. Islam and Medicine, um, yeah. which is like uh, discussing ethical issues around medicine and Islam, uh, very well respected in that particular field. And um, and I'm sure you've, you've done a few other things on the side as well that we'll, we'll hear about. But, um, but maybe you want to just introduce what the Quran Club's is about and, um, and then we'll dive into it. Sure.
2: So firstly, thanks for inviting me on this podcast. It's uh, a big fan. been listening to a few of them, inshallah. And to be amongst your esteemed guests is great. Um, So the the Qur'an Club is essentially a a vision I have for how I believe we can kind of change the world um, in both the spiritual sense and the physical sense. And and I'll go through that in detail later. But um, uh, for a long time, I was thinking, you know, it's very odd. Muslims have a very strong identity with their faith. Uh, we very strongly identify as Muslims, and also we very strongly identify as one another. Uh, you know, the Muslims have one body, as described in the Hadith, and so on. But yet, there, there isn't a place to connect us together. Um, and that's not for a lack of trying. People have tried to, to build communities online for Muslims, but they've not really taken off. You know, there's like halal YouTube, halal Facebook, and all these things. Um, and I think the key ingredient that's missing is we're not using our faith to connect ourselves. So... For me, the, the key thing with the Qur'an club is we're building a community around the Qur'an. And that's based around the hadith um, in the, the two sahihs, uh, which describes, the, the Prophet describes how blessed are people who come to the houses of God uh, reciting Qur'an and studying it together. Um, so based on that principle, the Prophet is describing a community here um, and how communities should be built. Uh, which is around the Qur'an. And, and the second kind of analogy is the very first words of the Qur'an which were revealed, um, the words which would go to shape the, the whole community. Um, the very, very first things God chose to say to us is to read. Um, and not just to read, read in the name of your Lord. Um, and we can go into some of the analogies there shortly. But, you know, if Allah chose to found this community on reading, uh, then we thought that's the missing ingredient so we we built community connecting people together through the quran um, by essentially reading and completing the quran together um, and then later studying it and doing various other things through it as well
1: brilliant and um let's I, i want to talk a bit about the quran club what exactly it is how how it's developed and how it started but maybe it'd be useful for our audience to firstly know an interesting thing about you that they perhaps didn't know no not many people do know maybe i don't even know um i know i'll probably put you on the spot here but um any ideas
2: so i've got a party trick that always comes out um and uh, the, the truth behind it is an actual mystery but do you know those red noses that people oh, yeah. squeeze yeah, yeah so so i can make a so- sound that exactly resembles it with my throat um, and the and the uh, <laughs> and the, the the fact behind it is um, or or the story behind it is that I swallowed one of those horns and it's lodged in a particular place. That if I squeeze my hand in a particular way, it makes a noise. So there's the party trick for you. But that's a, a very, random, very random, unrelated fact.
1: I did not know that, and uh, I'm sure that people now using the Grand Club app will never never think of it in the same way again.
2: Uh. <laughs> We'll, we'll add a little easter egg so that if you do a certain feature you get this honking noise
1: <laughs> Fantastic um, So Talha you, um, you were always involved with the community you, you've grown up in Solihull near Birmingham and you went to LSE where you studied economics um, and perhaps something else with economics I can't remember um, where, where do you think is the most appropriate place to start for this journey that you've been on So
2: I think um, my family is definitely the place to start. Alhamdulillah, I've been very, very blessed um, to be kind of raised in a family of of people and individuals who each of whom I respect greatly and look up to and admire greatly and and led the way for me. So I'm the youngest of kind of four. um, And my father and mother have always been extremely active, um, not just leading in teaching and serving the community but also in studying in raising the family in in a way that's conducive to islam and and proud of the islamic identity um and they're actually one of the very rare examples who i think combined both success in this world um you know my dad mashallah is a a doctor and and did very well um success in islamic studies which i think is often neglected but also practical community service Mm. um so uh, he's kind of someone who's who's learned his faith and learned his kind of clinical practice and so on but also really taking that to benefit the community and it's kind of a whole um it's that community that where the journey really starts because I went through a schooling system um in the Sunday school where I was taught about my faith amongst many others um and my dad's attitude was always like well if I'm going to do this for my kids why not do it for you know 40 other kids and benefit everyone at the same time um and that really engendered a lot of what even the Qur'an started off as um, you know the, the, the process of you know if I'm going to read Qur'an myself why don't I just try and get everyone else to read Qur'an and if I'm going to read the Tafsir, why don't I just get everyone else to, to read the Tafsirs as well and so on so it's kind of it, it, it's an attitude that I think was really nurtured in me from the engage, Alhamdulillah and that's a big blessing
1: Alhamdulillah and, and I think the, the deep mashallah spirituality with which you you know, you conduct your life is something that, you know, I'm sometimes uh, inspired by or even sometimes, you know, slightly uh, envious of um, in that, you know, you... Th- this morning, uh, you know, there's that hadith of how al- <laughs> Bakar was the only one when Prophet said, you know, uh, you should be... Uh, I can't remember the exact hadith. You, you'll be able to remind me um, of, you know, the, the person who's visited the sick. Uh, the person who's uh, given someone something in charity, uh, and uh, and then one other, um, the, the the person who um, I can't remember the, the other one now. It was so, a funeral procession, I believe. Yeah, the funeral procession. So, uh, and before we called, you were already talking to someone who's uh, in hospital at the moment. So I was like, you know, Sunday morning, you've already done one of them. The Quran Club is a way for you to do the charity aspect. Um, All you need to do now is find a funeral procession. You might be going back. I think
2: uh, it's your good opinion of me. I think, uh, mashallah, a lot of people um, you you meet, they're doing incredible things. And and the best thing is to always look at other people in your deen as if you aspire to follow them. And I think it's your humility that you're doing that with, mashallah. And um, kind of looking the dunya as if you've surpassed them, because that's something you don't really want to aspire towards necessarily but alhamdulillah i think with the quran club um it is a beautiful way of um not just me but anybody part of that community um, is essentially encouraging other people to read because they're more motivated to do so so um the the essence of a community there's many benefits of of reading collectively and, and reading amongst one another um one of the greatest of which is you know, other people are now encouraged to read because they know a thousand other people are reading and waiting on them to finish their page or finish their verse. So, therefore, you're sharing in their reward because you're encouraging them. And the Prophet ﷺ said, you know, mm. the one who guides someone to doing a good action is like the one who does the good action themselves so it's a uh, it's a big blessing alhamdulillah and it's something that it's not really aimed purely at me it's for everyone else who's participated and you know the whole project's been funded by by donors as well and their reward in all of this as well so alhamdulillah
1: and so um let, before we kick into the quran club because i really want to get into that i just want to hear about um you know you went to london school of economics you did economics you um then you went and worked for a very prestigious um, strategy consultancy firm, and and then you left. Can you talk us through the the thinking that you went through and um, what led you to that decision? Because I think a lot of our our community, a lot of our listeners, will be professionals. Um, so you know, Dalhai used to work for LEK Consulting, very prestigious firm. What led you to that shift in your um, in your career?
2: Sure. So. It's actually, the journey started before I even started my job at LEK. So um, whilst I was in university, I had this kind of moment of, you know, what does the community need and, and how do I work towards that? Um, and it was kind of a three-pronged approach. So it was kind of this intellectual, spiritual and economic revivals of what I call them. Um, so it was, think, it, was in a, it was in a finance lecture, I was at university learning about options and futures and shorts and puts and all these other instruments and i'm thinking you know subhanallah we've only ever been taught about how interest is haram and yet there's all these instruments we barely understand mm-hmm. um and that's where it all started so we i joined what has now become the center for islam and medicine we founded it as kind of this vision of setting up an institution to look into contemporary questions and issues to try and understand them from a religious viewpoint of what we have to say um, so from anything like uh, in finance, in politics, but we began with medicine because of the sheer number of issues within medicine and various issues around that. But then at the same time, I was thinking, what else do we need to do the other side of the spiritual and the economic? So uh, it was actually an accident how we started on the Quran Club. Um, and kind of whilst I was in L.E.K., I kind of began to lay the foundations of kind of what I would do when I'd leave. So I knew that I'd have the, I, I, before I started, I had a two-year timeline in my head. Um, I stayed for two and a half years uh, in the end, but um, it was something that I planned and began to organize and actually was doing on the side whilst I was at work. Um, and I think that's the part that people often forget that probably 70 to 80% of the foundations you can do whilst still in your professional job um, and you can kind of go about doing it and preparing it so that when you leave it's not a sudden kind of kind of all or nothing proposition um that. yeah so i think uh, alhamdulillah it's it's that's the, that's the biggest advice i'd share um and i think the second uh, key thing for me was um i uh, often i get asked the question why did i do this in the beginning and why, and why i do this now and there were two things that ran through my head that were very important uh, number one was kind of people tend to do this sort of decision um, either at the beginning of their life or the end of their life. Yeah. Um, once you've got a family and responsibilities, particularly in our community, it's very difficult to quit and start building your own income uh, to support them because you've kind of put everything on the line. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of your life, you've got the experience and the money, but you haven't got the energy to necessarily execute it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, it kind of made sense to do this now. And the very worst that would happen is I'd lose my savings, but I can just start again in a relatively prestigious job again and build that all up. So it wasn't a massive risk. Um, So it was very calculated. But the second thing which I really want to emphasize is that when I was kind of in this position, I was kind of like, well, I've been dealt almost the perfect hand in terms of play this deck. You know, the family I've been raised in, the circumstances I'm in. Uh, my financial situation and if I'm too risk averse to do this then who will do it who who's going to go about fulfilling what the community needs and what society needs um and kind of it was it was a trust in Allah I just thought you know if I'm doing this for him and I do this for the right reasons then hopefully uh things will fall into place as long as I do everything on my part to try and fulfill it um but yeah it was kind of the the realization that you know I have friends who have everything but their families are financially dependent on them. Mm-hmm. So for them to quit and go and do something it would mean they they don't have rent. You know, I'm not in that position. Uh, I'm not in a position where I've you know I've I've been raised and I have a good grounding and understanding of Islamic knowledge. I have an understanding of kind of what the community needs and serve that. I have a lot of these kind of uh, cards in my hand, uh, and I just need to be willing to play them.
1: And, and so, um, you say the three things were well, because this is this is really genuinely a topic that I know a lot of my listeners who've been following our podcast they know that this is something that Moss and I are really passionate about about thinking about your career and um, being very strategic and making sure that there's a spiritual dynamic to it and you know really drilling down into what the Muslim community needs. So you said spiritual, economic, and
2: uh, financial. And financial. Oh,
1: sorry, sorry,
2: no, no, sorry. It was, uh, it was intellectual, spiritual, financial.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. So I, mean, I think that makes complete sense. And, um, and and the way that, you know, what, we, what we're trying to do at Islamic Finance Guru um, is uh, a little bit about the, um, uh, well, I suppose all, all three things, but certainly on the, on the financial and economic aspects. Um, but also, frankly... Um, on the the spiritual side as well, and uh, you know, uh, and maybe we can have an offline conversation on this. But I thought it'd be useful, uh, you know, why why not share with other people our our thinking on this? Um, for me, I think a lot of the issues that we have in our community, there there's certainly that spirituality and intellectual uh, gap that that we desperately need to plug. Which I think you know, things like the uh, Center for Islam and Medicine is fantastic way of doing that in, in niche areas, and perhaps you know IFG can do more of that in the finance sphere, but then, um, but then actually in the economic sphere, because if you if you think about it, a lot of the issues that we have, you know, discrimination, Islamophobia, underrepresentation in um, politics and the media, overrepresentation in the prison population, a lot of this stuff links back to just economic prosperity and creating a new middle class and um and with IFG, i feel like that is such an important mission that we have to um to try and raise our community half of whom live in the, you know 10% poorest constituencies in the UK to the next level and uh, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, i'd be interested to hear your thoughts about this as well um uh, and then also how, you know, the Qur'an Club links back to all of this as well. So one of the
2: things I was uh, reflecting on, I have a friend who's saying up um, a project uh, called the Golden Touch Academy. Cannon, oh, a yeah. man and, and his teacher this man. So um, one of the one of the brilliant things they're doing is teaching the community how to make the most of their savings and where to spend it and how to basically get, earn passive income. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about my own situation because I kind of left, I, I kind of saved intensely when I was at work, um, but then I kind of spent that all over the course of the period of uh, of leaving work. And I was thinking, had institutions like that been around, um, that would have been great to be able to build a passive income so that I could have gone for longer or continue to go for longer on the initial earnings I had. And I think a lot of what's emerging, um, things like that, is because people like yourselves uh, and what we're trying to do in Tanim, are kind of trying to serve this kind of emerging community of young professionals who are religious um, and who are trying to make their way in a world that doesn't entirely fit their needs at the moment. Um, and I think there's a kind of a Thompson Reuters report about how the kind of uh, Islamic economy as it stands is essentially massively underserved. Uh, and with massive potential but all of this boils down to i'm not sure if i'd necessarily break it down into a class issue um, because i think this extends across different wealth levels uh, and different needs but i do think there is uh, a particular need amongst kind of the middle income earners so to speak to um, be served for their particular needs financially in order to help their their pound go that bit further, um, and to be able to really build the institutions in the in a community.
1: Agreed. I think, and I think there's actually two different strands here, and you know, this is uh, really trying to you know lay out the the internal workings of IFG, which is that you know we have we have people who are frankly not going to, um, and that's perfectly fine. Who are not going to leave their jobs and do a startup or a business or something like that. Uh, the majority of people work um, for their you know for their lives. Um, and and that's, and that's perfectly fine and, and for these people you need this kind of uh, passive income or savings and an efficient and halal way of uh, making their money work for them but then um, uh, I, I was having a chat with my brother who you, you know obviously because he went to LSE as well and we were thinking about how to have that maximum impact um, and really make a difference in the next 20-30 years for the Muslim community. Right and I think that the way to do that is going to come um, by you know dozens hundreds of people who have great potential um, to try and hit it big and try and do a startup feel like the the big change is going to come from people who have that entrepreneurial streak to them who are willing to take that risk and um, are willing to dream big and uh, you know do a start up and or do a small business that is we're aiming to grow to a massive business and those are the people um, who you know they 'll be one in twenty one in thirty one in forty who will do really well and that 's not to say that you know the other people who don 't do as well you know that's you know' uh, it 's a matter of luck as well to a, to a large extent and I feel like uh, the those people who have that spirit and have that ability they should one hundred percent try and uh, try and do something about it um, because as you said, you know there are very few people in that privileged position in our community who could do something like that uh, because of you know the, uh, the background, uh, financial support, the upbringing, whatever uh, the skill sets to do that. And I think it's just such a responsibility for our community. and with IFG we, d- we do a lot of support with startups and matching up with, with investors and things like that. Um, for this precise reason, because, you know, I, I genuinely feel that in terms of, you know, the eighty twenty rule, where can you have the maximum impact by not doing a huge amount? I, I sincerely believe that this, this is it. And I, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about entrepreneurship and how you've gone about setting up things yourself. Um, and if this, you know, if, you know, if this rings true in your experience. I mean, so I've, I've been reflecting on this
2: a lot, um, And actually, a lot of what I started off with is,
1: um,
2: I don't think people need to, people tend to think in terms of big steps, they tend to think of seismic shifts, uh, and that's what the community needs. And, you know, I actually, I actually slightly disagree. Um, I think seismic shifts happen as a consequence of many, many small actions. Um, And I actually, looking at this, there's a hadith that's very, very interesting, and it's kind of... Been spinning around my head for for the last few weeks Um, and it's a hadith where Sayyidina Bilal may Allah be pleased with him was asked by the Prophet kind of what action have you done that you think uh, and are most hopeful for that will enter you paradise because I've heard your slippers Mm. in paradise i.e. you've already attained paradise you've achieved it already Mm. so what action have you done that you think is the most significant thing that has earned you that place Now, Bilal could have said at this point, he could have said, well, it was the years of torture I've endured under the hands of Humei ibn Khala that became so famous that people till this day remember how he endured with great patience, that kind of immense suffering. He could have mentioned how his name is now synonymous with the Adhan and he's the Prophet's Mu'avdin. So it's that even his voice at the time, if he was to make Adhan, they would associate it with the Prophet. He could have mentioned how he rose from being a, a black slave from Africa with, with nothing to being one of the greatest companions of the Prophet ﷺ, um, mm-hmm. who many people are named after. But, but he didn't choose any of those. The, the action he chose was to say, I see as nothing more beloved or more worthy of me having this station than the fact that every time I lose my wudu, I do my wudu again. Mm. And every time I do my wudu again, I pray to mm. okay. and sunnah And there's a really deep truth in this. And I, what I've done is I've reflected as to why he chose this thing. But ultimately what you see is uh, our faith and specifically change is made up of a series of very small steps that we make mm. um, and very small, sincere actions. Because if you were to give a £100,000 today, you'd be expecting the keys of paradise to be given to you. You know, I've earned my place. I, mm. And Whereas if you give a pound a day, every day, no one's going to look at twice at you for doing that action. But in many ways, that's by far the more important one. It's the consistent regular that you can count on than the action. And it's, it also carries a far more sincere attitude to God because you're not expecting anything from that pound other than knowing God will reward you for it. Whereas if you give 100,000 pounds, you're expecting the world to change. You'd want reports back. You'd want this, that, the other. Whereas the pound you're giving, is the only thing you're expecting is God to reward you. Um, And I think people often forget that, especially kind of switching back to this entrepreneurial stuff. People think they're going to leave, come up with this idea, it's going to be that one in 30 you mentioned, it's going to make a million pounds, they're going to smash it. And that's not how life works, and that's not what Allah expects either. Um, What you actually need to be doing is basically committing to very small, tangible changes in your life that become habits, Mm. and those habits form a person and an attitude that will take you through the difficulties that you will make when those big decisions come, yeah. because it's when you're in the fire you need to remember the, yeah. the steps yeah. that you've been rehearsing. You know, I remember one of the teachers saying, you know, why is it people can't remember la ilaha illallah when the angel is asking them in the grave? Mm. I mean, they must have heard it, and, and Sayyidina Umar said, he asked the Prophet, will I have my intellect in the grave? And they will the reason they won't remember it is because of stage fright. Mm. They haven't rehearsed it enough. They haven't practiced it enough. Uh, they, they forget the name. They, oh, what is that thing I, was, I needed to remember? Mm. Um, and I think certainly in my experiences, of what I've been doing, and it's still very early stages, but um, it's those small, system deeds that I think kind of really carry us forward. Um, and for those people who are considering going into the entrepreneurial life, um, it's not something that's all or nothing. You, you, you definitely can do a significant amount of work um, by doing very small things from now, um, preparing mm-hmm. yeah. to save your income so that you have capital to invest, uh, thinking about ideas you can do so that when you launch, you know, you, you've, you've already experimented, you've done consumer trials, you've done all these other things, and then you're ready to really take it to that next step. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest, Advice, I would
1: say. Oh, um yeah. I actually think that we we we're agreeing, but we're just approaching it from a, a different lens. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I, I think we both agree that th- you know the vision that you should have is uh, you know to have as much impact as you possibly can, but that you shouldn't just think, all right, I'm going to just leave, I'm gonna just I'm just going to do this, and mm. it's just suddenly all going to click and it's all going to happen when. You know, you, you can't even, you know, wake up for Fajr. And, of course.
2: Uh, it... I, I think the idea is that the Prophet sallallahu sallam, when he was in the cave of Hira, and I was blessed to visit just the other week, um, he was a visionary. I mean, he thought, how is this religion going to spread to the corners of the world? Hmm. You know, he was told um, by Sayyidina waraqa who who was a kind of well-versed in the tradition, he was like, your message is not going to come down easily it's going to be difficult but it's also going to grow and be massive but what we need to do as a community is um and and one of my teachers uh sad he's kind of specialized in this is kind of looking at prophetic leadership kind of what were the things here is a man who had uh, essentially um nothing he was in the middle of the desert right he had materially you'd think what what, what would this be in his favor to be able to achieve this but yet he has had the most significant impact on the world today mm. and if we can look at the steps that he took in terms of how he achieved the change he wants to achieve yeah. i think then we can take some profound lessons um, and remember the prophet sallam, if you are looking at it from a material perspective he became one of the richest people um, in the world yeah. uh, after her when he inherited that essentially valued at billions, if not trillions of pounds of of wealth. Um, What was fascinating, another hadith, which is incredibly fascinating, he said, if Allah was to transform the mountain of ahud into gold, he would know and he would distribute it out within three days. Now, people look at that hadith and they think, wow, he's so generous. And of course, that's one of the meanings you can take away. But if I was to come to you or any of your listeners and say, look, here's one billion pounds, because a mountain of gold, in terms of value is going to equate it to at least that much money, uh, amount of money. If I was to say to you, you've got three days to give it all out. How oh, would wow. you be prepared with a strategy?
1: Not only in terms
2: of where to give it, but also how are you going to move physical gold from mm. one place to another and distribute it and ensure there's validation, ensure the projects have been thought through. The prophet was a strategic thinker. He knew exactly what to do, where to do it and how to do it. Mm. Um, and we often forget about that side of things. We just think, yeah, I need to get the money. I need to, do but we we don't think about how we're going to execute this. And also, where's yeah, the need? How it's a really
1: good point. This and also, you know, I I was talking to my wife about this um, today, t- yesterday, about um, you know the, the the end goal is you know obviously when you're doing a business, the end goal is um, to be commercially successful, but actually that's that's not the end goal. This the whole thing needs to be a means to a much deeper end. Um, and and that's you know to uh, earn the pleasure of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala ultimately, um, but but also you know this, this money then becomes a, a responsibility and it's an amana, and the whole purpose mm. for why you know you're you are know, trying to do something like this and you're taking that risk is to help um, to help the Muslim community but also to help humanity at large, and yeah. and uh, and it's so important to keep that in mind because um, you're only going to be able to do that if you are consistently that character throughout your journey um, to this kind of, you know, commercial success point. Because if, if mm. you've neglected, um, you know, your spirituality, you've ne- neglected uh, giving that regular sadaqah, you've neglected doing that, you know, the uh, the small good actions, then then actually y- you, you'll have lost the, you know, the, the ability to do what you set out to do in the first place even though, Mm -hmm. you you know, you've ended up succeeding.
2: Mm. I mean, I think um, one of the interesting things about business is it seems as if those who cheat, those who can kind of take the shortcut can often succeed. Mm -hmm. um, And it can be very tempting to to cave into that. So on a very basic principle, you know, taking an interest-based loan um, has massive advantages because it's equity-free and... There's a low risk yeah. uh, rewards kind of re- relationship and, and it kind of thinks, well, and even just this well, the u k is the, the tax structures often favor debt based yeah. um, structures as opposed to equity based structures and so on, so you kind of think, oh you know, why is that not not fair, and why is that not working and, and it 's easy if you haven 't had that preparation before to kind of cave in and say, look, I need to do this, this is for the greater good or whatever and i 'm not necessarily making a judgment call on it, but what i 'm saying is um, there are situations you will be faced with that you have to be prepared for through those series of small things that have been grounding you in your spirituality and your faith that prepare you for those difficulties that are to come. Yeah. Um, and I think it's it's very important. I mean, the Quran club, the the, the beauty of it um, is it's the consequence of lots of things I did that, or um, well, actually not what I did, but what a set of circumstances that led to the perfect concoction to lead to this project. I mean, it was funded by a series of micro donors. We never had a single person who gave a massive check as such, yeah. but there were lots of people who in their particular commitment, said, I'll give a thousand pounds, 2000 pounds, which is substantial, but not kind of the, the VC no, quantities course, yeah. that you get. Yeah. Um, but it's enabled a tremendous good. And I genuinely think it's because of the sincerity of those people who donated. Mm. Um, but also it's, the, although I never did it for that purpose um, when you when you work in the community, when you serve people, what you what I now realize is you get people 's trust and that mm. trust is a huge responsibility but it 's also something that opens doors for you and stuff later on, mm. um, because people sometimes expect to be working a nine to five for all their life um, and not do much else for anybody else and then suddenly come and ask for kind of the support of the community and these things and it takes a long time to engender that trust and that support that you get and i think what by by serving and by doing these things throughout your life it often makes things a lot easier later on when it comes to the work that you are planning to do and so on
1: and um let's talk about the quran club because i know i've i slightly went off on uh, a tangent and i think we're both interested in that subject um but how has it grown and where are you now in that journey and uh, where do you think you'll be in five, ten years?
2: So it started off as a WhatsApp group of 20 people. That WhatsApp group now has around 20,000 people. Wow. Um, and then that's where it was all very organic. So when that is successful, we we asked for donations to help us build an app because we thought the, the app is a, uh, would be a far more sustainable model because WhatsApp is where they blocked us a few times they thought we were spam and they suddenly and they suddenly got about ten thousand messages telling them this is not a spam number please unblock it so i think in the history of whatsapp we were the first number to be unblocked or something um but then we we built this app it took around four and a half years so far and we're about two months old um and alhamdulillah we're reading an incredible amount of quran which is what the center of all of this is, Mm. uh, trying to get people to reconnect with their faith. So we're reading, we've read around 700,000 ayahs of the Quran, uh, almost 70,000 pages. um, And that's in the space of two months. So you can see the number of uh, things there. But the the key thing for me is that if I'm going to build this project, it has to be something that can be self-sustainable. But actually, it should be bigger than that, in Mm. the sense of not just, creating income for itself to run, but also create wealth for the community. So the big challenge for me was how do I make this project something that can make money um, and make enough money to keep itself going, which in tech is not easy, um, but also make money to be able to fund other projects and fund other activities. So the key moment was when you realize you're building the community, um, you've got an asset which is, a route to market, you've got people which are available to, 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 to uh, access and to reach out to within a very specific niche, which is growing, which is the Islamic economy. Um, so what we did is we associated a charity um, with donations, uh, with, sorry, with advert watching. So every single person who um, watches an advert on our app is essentially giving money to charity for free. Um, so we created this way of people to be be able to give 10p each time they watch an advert, for example, um, simply by giving 20 to 30 seconds of their time. And then that money goes towards a pot of money, which is creating a wealth for the community. And the thing with tech is if you get 100,000 people or a million people doing that every single day, you're creating this free pot of income, which is benefiting the businesses because they're able to reach their target demographic is benefiting the person because they're seeing the products that they're wanting to see um, and also being able to raise money and it's also benefiting the community as a whole to are creating this kind of uh, income stream for people to benefit from so um so, so that this, was kind
1: of the so this um uh community pot is it so that's where you get you know your running costs from but is is the quran club then not necessarily a commercial venture it's more like a social enterprise is that what it's uh, what it is uh, yeah,
2: exactly. So the Qur'an Club is um, a social venture, it's a social enterprise, um, because we want to uh, ultimately serve and benefit uh, the community and the Qur'an, and to stay loyal to the, the, the initial uh, vision that the donors gave towards it, um, which is to benefit people through a, a free-based app uh, that allows people to access and learn Qur'an and to learn about their faith. Yeah. Um, but the The kind of key thing with the the app is that, um, I mean, we tried to register it as a a charity when we first set up, um, but it's very difficult to build this sort of venture as a charity. There's a lot of restrictions. Um, So we we went and registered it as a company. Mm. Um, And there's also a sense of realism in that we've had to always keep that option open in case, at the end of the day, the the, the app being built is the key product here. Mm. And uh, if we ever need to revisit our strategy of of taking investment and these sorts of things, then that option is always there. But so far, we've only received donations towards the app. Mm. So anybody who's given towards it has given the sole purpose of, I want to give money to this app, and my reward will be millions of people reading Quran in my name. Yeah. And to be honest, when they, when you put that proposition to someone, most people are just like, Where do I sign? <laughs> um, yeah. As they don't necessarily need a financial incentive because, you know, how how many projects can you have such a continuous ongoing charity through yeah um so yeah it's a social venture um but the way we've find that we commercialized it i can't go into too much detail but there's certain um kind of plans we've got in the next three to five years that really? will significantly uh stabilize the projects and allow us to continue to grow and to benefit the community but the, the biggest benefit is our product is the quran so in order to Make our product better. We have to invest in the Quran and invest in in research and producing content, and that's almost like you know the the trick to this all. In that we've we can research and produce content which is of value to the the end user and to the community intrinsically within our business model.
1: Wow, and and do you think that uh, what what do you say in this last in this journey of a few years now? were the biggest challenges that you faced uh, and, and how did you go about overcoming them? So,
2: I mean, financing has always been a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, something I knew I'd have to put in a lot myself, um, both in terms of the sacrifices of kind of a regular income and, and also in my own savings. Um, so that's been a significant challenge. I think also the way you're perceived from the community um, in that, there's, there's naturally going to be pressures from family and friends and so on in terms of what it is you're, you're doing and achieving. Yeah. Um, so whilst that wasn't necessarily directly a, a difficulty, the main difficulty comes when it comes to, um, you know, building a life um, beyond kind of the work you're doing and kind of ensuring your responsibilities are fulfilled, your yeah. the, the family, your friends, your wife, and, and so on. But also kind of keeping up with the project because I think when, what happens is when a project becomes your, your life and blood it becomes all consuming and it, it's yeah. very difficult to step away from it and yeah. fulfill your responsibilities to other people um, and it's even more so when you think this is something like a religious purpose or a calling that you want to do because it's kind of very easy to just dedicate almost all your time towards yeah. um, and making sure that you're still available for those around you and, mm-hmm. and other commitments can be, can be challenging as well Okay, so those fantastic. kind of two main things, I think, is important.
1: And and what do you think is the single mo- thing that most helped you grow your audience and reach, um, you know, Quran Club? Was there one one particular thing that you could point to, or or maybe there's a few?
2: It's funny because the way we grew is, was always been very organic. I mean, Facebook ads help. Um, you know, it lets you get your own audience out there but we've always had a very natural growth rate because people tend to share our content very easily um, because it's a virtuous product so people will see this and be like oh yeah i want to share this with my family to join in yeah
0: um
2: so the biggest benefit is when we first started i emailed all the scholars um and kind of what we call social media influencers or whatever you want to call them um kind of asking them to promote our app Mm -hmm. Um, and i wrote a reflection on this and most people unless they know who you are and what you're doing they're always a bit reluctant yeah Um, but there was one person who didn't really know who i was it was was quite a big scholar at the time and he just reposted our thing um and then that kind of literally overnight we got five thousand people join the whatsapp group Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like crazy um and uh from there it kind of showed the potential of it and we were able to to grow and so on and since then we get kind of several hundred downloads a day off the back of the app. But the the reflection was, you know, that simple act that he had, which was to share it, essentially Mm -hmm. validated our vision, which allowed us to continue. Because had that not happened, that would have easily just become – it would have probably continued, but just as a small-scale family project as opposed to something that it is what it's become. And this is a message to all kind of people, is that you really don't realize what small action you do. Because to him, just to hit the share button was probably – you know meaningless or, or not much of a thing um but it literally transformed our life mm. i mean I, I probably would not be where i am today had it not been that mm. um and many people often think twice before doing any good deed um mm. because they're like overthinking sometimes And i yeah. think sometimes just just go ahead and do it just just pray just Quran, and just see the change it will have because it changes things you know the butterfly effect you will do something small, but you won't realize the impact it's having elsewhere.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and there's a
2: lot of truth to that.
1: Agreed, agreed. And, and sometimes, you know, I think there's, there's almost, a, uh, there's almost a, a concern where we over-intellectualize things and we over-try and, uh, you know, think things. And, and, and it just holds us back. Uh, I, I think the, the, the Sahaba and Prophet they were all people of action. You know, if if someone told them to do something with, the you know, the alcohol when that was banned and what happened afterwards with the alcohol being poured out into the streets and stuff, they were just people of action. You know, they uh, they did things and then they, they reflected on it afterwards if they knew it was to be, if it was a good thing. Um, but Talha, uh, I'm just aware of the time. So I, I wanted to ask, what is... would you say the future of the Qur'an club and what would you like our listeners to do? How can our listeners get involved in all this? So the
2: idea of the Qur'an club is to build a community and a community requires people. So we want users to download the app and to commit to reading a verse a day. Now by reading that verse, not only are you contributing to the Qur'an being read thousands of times across the world, which I think is intrinsically beneficial. Mm. And I think that will intrinsically cause what I call a spiritual earthquake. Mm. Um, we, will, we will literally change the cosmos by people and Muslims around the world reconnecting with the Quran. Um, but you also, in a very practical sense, you will be giving money to charity for free. Mm. Uh, so every verse that you read uh, will be raising money for charity um, simply by you opting in, you volunteering to watch an advert after reading that verse. And the money from that advert will go to, to charity. Um, now, individually, you might think, what impact am I having? But we know the value of big data these days. And mm-hmm. I, I say big data is essentially the value of Big soab, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of really allows you to see the impact of small actions, which has been the theme of this podcast probably, um, and the impact they have collectively. So if each individual does something, uh, individually it has a very sm- uh, minimal effort, but collectively it has a massive impact. Mm. So for your for your listeners and for all our friends out there, um, I think make a commitment to to just reading a verse a day uh, on the app. You'll find it very engaging. We've got a whole streak feature on the app, so every day that you read, um, you'll be kind of leveling up on the app. Um, and we've got like a hundred day challenge, which we're going to be launching very soon. Um, so that if you read a hundred days consistently, uh, we'll send you like a little trophy. Uh, and then, if you get to the year mark, will give you. It's very similar to that like, the YouTube uh, kind of subscriber goal, but this yeah. time it's for reading Quran. Um, but we really want people to be on board with the app. So yeah. uh, when you download it, you will notice it's probably one of the most advanced kind of Quran apps that are out there. Um, it tracks every page, every verse uh, that's read, um, and it, it allocates it to the gender the age the city the country that it's been read and we kind of represent all that data and statistics and i know a lot of your users will be quite you know quant-based people uh you can kind of see really interesting metrics of kind of users performance and which countries and which cities are reading the most Um, and we have all these kind of global competitions um and we have uh the ability for you to create a private group between family and friends and stuff as well um but essentially uh by people tuning in and and downloading the app and reading with us, um, they will be uh, kind of causing uh, that spiritual earthquake that I speak about um, and also helping us raise millions of pounds of charity for free. Um, And I genuinely think we can begin to create the first online community of Muslims, uh, which will be very exciting. Um, So the vision is that every Muslim everywhere has the Quran club and is reading Quran together every day. Um, and I think if we can, can realize that, that will be a very powerful, very beautiful kind of achievement to have got to by the end of the next you know, three to five years.
1: Inshallah. Inshallah. And, uh, and you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from you and keep you know, your intention pure. And, um, and I look forward to catching up with you in a few years time when um, you know, that there, there has been this spiritual earthquake. Uh, inshallah, and uh, you know we're actually seeing the, the the fruits of you know what you've been doing. JazakAllah um, khair for making the time to um, come onto the podcast, and um, uh, you know uh, I I do urge our listeners to um, look at the Quran Club app, download it, uh, and and get reading because I think there's a, there's a benefit for everyone. It's literally a win-win-win situation for everyone, so uh, th- so do do that. Uh, Jazak Allahu khairan once again. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah.